you cannot bear to see a man change before your eyes, then shut them for just a few seconds, if you can, and listen for the shuddering sounds to end. They mark the evil transformation of Henry Jekyll to his monstrous other self, the cruel, depraved Edward Hyde. For God's sake, man, don't kill him. Let me alone, Jekyll. Let me alone. <laughs> Here is the century-old horror classic filmed as it has never been before with a cast that takes the living shape of the characters that have enthralled billions of readers all over the world. This is Dr. Jekyll, one man with two faces and a mind split in two. Will we ever know who we really are? Who are you, Kitty? Who are you? Dawn Adams as his shameless wife, unaware that her husband was two men, both of them watching her jealously. I don't deserve you, Kitty. You don't. But I deserve you. I deserve nothing better than you. Christopher Lee as the lover who shared her deception and her danger. Here is the cold face of hate and the hot face of passion. And the face of torment. Where's Henry? Believe me, your husband is here. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, the Hammer Horror Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm your co-host, Ro Lauren. And tonight we are talking about the two faces of Dr. Jekyll, a rather unique and different take on the classic story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, totally uh, unexpected. <laughs> Yeah, not the direction I thought they were going with this one. Um, extremely unusual, especially considering you know what Hyde and 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 uh, Jekyll normally look like. This was extremely different, and another film starring uh, the late great Sir Christopher Lee as well. Yes, ah, oh, he does phenomenal in this one. Have you ever read the original story by Robert Louis Stevenson? Nope. Mm -mm. Have you ever seen any of the other versions? No, I actually, this was the, um, embarrassingly, no, <laughs> I only know about this from like cultural osmosis. So actually sitting down to watch this was very interesting, especially because this was so different than what it typically is. Um, so yeah, uh, this is, this was a very interesting experience for me. There is currently now in post-production, a Jekyll versus Hyde movie. Um, there was a Hyde or Jekyll TV series or something like that that was on uh, for a bit. Uh, this Jekyll versus Hyde movie looks like it's filled with a whole lot of nobodies that I don't even know, and it looks foreign too, so this could be very schlocky crap. Um, <laughs> there's uh, uh, one of Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, best stories are probably most familiar with is Treasure Island. And there's a oh, uh, Disney yeah. movie that came out in uh, 2002 called Treasure Planet, which is like one of my space. ultimate favorite movies. Everyone really? who hates everyone hates that movie, and I love it. No, I love that movie. That's good. That's a good oh. film. That's a yes. very good film. It's so good, dude. It's underrated as fuck. I I'm sorry. It's like I love that movie so fucking much. But do you know what's <laughs> even better than that movie? What? Blue, a bloodthirsty captain and a cutthroat 
That would be Muppet Treasure Island. Yes. <laughs> Starring also, Tim Curry. Tim Curry, thank you. Tim Curry mm. as uh, as uh, as the pirate uh, Long John Silver. Yes. Abs- also phenomenal. Yes, absolutely a great underrated movie but you have tim curry as your main villain baddie kind of good guy uh (laughs) you know it's like kermit and the gang also along the ride yes uh probably the most famous version of dr jekyll and mr hyde goes all the way back to the silent film era um starring uh lon chaney senior who played both roles oh okay this was the film that uh, he did the makeup and like in the mirror and like slowly transformed into Mr. Hyde. Oh, okay. Yeah. And of course, uh, what famous character would uh, be adapted into Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in their own unique way? Who? Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation interacts with his unique body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby would use the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, formula for their creation, The Incredible Hulk. Of course, duh. Why didn't I immediately think of that? <laughs> that is, he- I mean, yes, the original look of the Hulk was based on Frankenstein's monster, um, mm-hmm. which eventually kind of evolved more into like what we know today, like you've seen the films played by uh, Mark Ruffalo and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Edward Norton. But uh, Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby, of course, as well. But uh, yeah, no, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde heavily influ- influenced uh, the creation of the Incredible Hulk because of, you know, the, the two personalities. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally makes sense now that you say it out loud. And I feel like I knew that at some point, but my brain, it was just like, uh. <laughs> I guess uh, Robert Louis Stevenson also wrote uh, the, the Body Snatcher, which I didn't, I completely forgot about. Oh, yeah, I love, I love that. So those are his three biggest uh, claim to fame. But we're going to discuss now the two uh, the two faces of... <laughs> okay, so it's real funny, real quick. Uh, <laughs> so the film is called The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll, but on IMDb, they call it Jekyll's Inferno as the poster. Yes, I, I was seeing that too. Very interesting. And this movie, of course, is once again directed by Terrence Fisher. Yes. Which reteams him with Christopher Lee, of course, who's a third billing on this movie, which makes sense because he's not the star of this film. It's the actor who plays uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Roe has the plot synopsis for us for this unique take on the classic story. I do. All right. First released on October 24th, 1960, and as we said, directed by Terrence Fisher, our film begins in London, 1874. Dr. Henry Jekyll, Paul Macy, is a scientist rejected by his peers for his research and theories about the human mind. His relationship with his wife, Kitty, Don Adams, is suffering because he's only interested in his research at his laboratory. Henry and Dr. Ernest Littor, David Kossoff, uh, observe mute children playing and fighting in Henry's garden. Henry explains to Ernst that he believes the human mind has a personality only shown in play, only seen when not speaking, and that there are two forces in the mind fighting for supremacy. Man is two beings, man as he is with moral restriction, and man as he would be free of restrictions. To demonstrate, Henry injects a monkey with a serum to transform uh, transform its mind and behavior. Kitty arrives and tells Henry that Paul, Christopher Lee, a socialite with whom she is having an affair, has arrived looking for financial help. She confides her fears and concerns for her husband with Ernst, saying she is worried about him and his state of mind. That night, Kitty is leaving for a social night out. Henry asks her to stay, saying he needs her and will take the night off, or when it will take night off, but she refuses to leave. Henry injects himself with the serum and transforms into a well-dressed young man, Mr. Edward Hyde. At a club, Paul and Kitty dance together and discuss their affair. Hyde arrives by cab. He is quickly approached by a girl who takes a fancy to him, and they start dancing. Seeing Paul and Kitty, Hyde breaks away and introduces himself to them as a friend of Henry Jekyll. 
After dancing with Kitty, the girl he was originally dancing with and her male companion challenge Edward uh, Edward Hyde and a fight breaks out. But then Jekyll and Hyde's personalities start arguing with each other and he quickly leaves. Back in the laboratory, he transforms back into Dr. Jekyll. Henry talks with Kitty about his struggles with his identity and not knowing who he really is. The next night, as Hyde... Uh, as Hyde, he joins Paul and a couple of girls at the club again. They watch Maria, Norma Marla, a belly dancer, dance with a snake. Edward is entranced, and after a dance with uh, after a dance, Paul introduces Hyde to her. Hyde follows her to her room and seduces her. As his personalities start to change back again, Maria mentions his cold wife, putting an idea in his head. Hyde visits Kitty. And they talk about her relationship with Henry and Paul. He tries to seduce her, but she's too much in love with Paul and resists him. Paul? (laughs) What the fuck? Paul again. As he goes back to leave, he starts to transform back into Dr. Jekyll and rushes back to his lab. Ernst visits Henry to check on his health, saying that his life is burning itself out. Paul arrives looking for more money, but Henry refuses to give it to him, saying that he's going away for a long time. So Paul leaves him again, saying to Kitty, it is over between them. Hyde meets Paul at a club, and Paul confides that he has been let down by Henry and Kitty and is 2,000 pounds in debt. Hyde says he will credit Paul 5,000 pounds, but he can repay him in kind with favors rather than with money. They then go to a boxing match, they go to bars, they smoke opium together, and soon the 5,000 pounds is gone. Hyde agrees to lend him more money in return for Kitty, but Paul refuses. Hyde visits Kitty again and suggests she buy Paul's debts by giving herself to him, but she refuses as well, and he leaves in anger. While Hyde frequents bars with various women, Paul and Kitty get back together. As Hyde leaves a bar, he is mugged, and when he regains consciousness, he is transformed back into Dr. Jekyll. He finds a note in his pocket from Kitty saying she is leaving him. He decides to destroy his drug and formula, but fears Hyde may have too much influence over him, so he must exercise him. Henry transforms back into Hyde and invites Paul and Kitty to meet with Henry at the club. Paul meets Hyde in Maria's private room at the club while Kitty waits, watching the dancers. Hyde shows Paul into a side room and locks him in there with Maria's snake. He then goes to get Kitty and rapes her. Hyde and Maria meet back at Henry's house, where Kitty wakes. Or when Kitty wakes up, she sees Paul has been killed by the snake. In her anguish, she falls off a balcony and through the glass roof onto the dance floor of the club. In bed with Maria, Hyde's personality starts to struggle with Jekyll's again. As he transforms back into Jekyll, he strangles Maria. The police investigate Kitty and Paul's deaths at the club. Henry writes a letter to Ernst asking him to come and help, but Hyde's personality says Ernst will die if he comes. Henry transforms into Hyde, asks a window cleaner in the lab, and then shoots him. He splashes oil all around the lab as the police arrive. He pretends Jekyll is in the lab with him and then uh, with a gun and sets fire to the place and then fires a shot from the gun. As the police break down the door, Hyde runs out saying that Jekyll has shot himself and set fire to the lab. It is decided that Jekyll has committed suicide due to the complications of his mind and drug addiction. As Hyde and Ernst leave, Hyde struggles again to contain Jekyll's personality, and he turns back into Jekyll in front of everyone. Jekyll has destroyed Hyde, and in doing so, has destroyed himself, and then he is arrested. This film um, has a unique way they do Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, in most of the all the iterations... Jekyll is the decent-looking man, or at least the gangly-looking scientist, and Hyde is, like, some kind of monster. You know, you think about, like, uh, have you ever read the and, and disavow the movie? Have you ever read the, the comics, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Yes. Yes. In that, Hyde is, a uh, like, a cannibal and a rapist. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. He rapes and eats uh, the Invisible Man. And in that, he's like a you know, horrendous, monstrous thing in the comic book. In the movie, he's just like a giant, monstrous, brute guy. But in this, it seems like Jekyll is the most unattractive of the two, and Hyde is the good-looking de- gentleman. Yeah, like, um, Jekyll is very quiet, isolated, um, kind of hermit-type man with, like, big, bushy eyebrows, a big beard, kind of sticks to himself. Yeah. And... Hyde is like a suave, um, clean-shaven, put-together-looking man. Correct. Very unusual, different dynamic that they've done before. The actor who plays Dr. Jekyll and Edward Hyde, he does an exceptionally great job playing the two different characters, obviously with like prosthetics coming on and off his face. Yes, he does a good job. Um, Like at first, when he first appears as Jekyll, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this man's face? I was like, he looks creepy as hell. And then I realized it's because it's the same actor and they have a bunch of weird prosthetics on his face. But then once, like once that, it, once I had that realization, it, it didn't bother me the rest of the film. And this is like the only Hammer movie that he did that I could see on his IMDb. I haven't seen a lot of anything that he's done before. Uh, he was in a dance documentary series that's interesting i guess he was a big dancer dawn adams i don't know if she's related to um, a certain actor who would go on to be in inspector gadget and on uh, a famous spy comedy series it doesn't appear though maybe he just happens to have the same last name this actor who plays our lead uh female is in a lot of her stuff she is just stunningly beautiful there's a silent enemy where she's playing a um an officer um she looks absolutely exceptional uh in volius volius danza zavig amoya uh it's like a dance movie she's in some black lingerie and she looks amazing uh hmm. there's a scene of her in the moon is blue where she's in a tub bathtub with bubbles covering her bits she looks absolutely beautiful um, and a lot of times she's in like bikinis and bathing suits. She is a exceptionally beautiful actress. She's in a couple of weird films such as The Plymouth Adventures and the uh, the Love Factor. She plays Zeta, which is and she's also in The Vault of Horror, which if you don't know what that is, it is one of the two 1970s uh, anthology horror movies based on the EC comics before there was the Tales from the Crypt TV series. There was Tales from the Crypt and The Vault of Horror. Oh, cool. Yeah, she's in one of the segments for that. Then we also have David ha- Kossoff, Kossoff, who plays Dr. Ernst uh, Lit- Littier. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, he's. Uh, I'm not really familiar with anything that he's been in as well. Um, our snake charmer, beautiful snake charmer, is played by Norma Marla. And this is it. Other than the ugly dunkling, this is it. Yeah, although I think I read that she is, she must be doing, she must have done like some other something because I did read um, that she is well known as a femme fatale. She has like tons and tons of pictures on the internet. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I don't see anything but this and Ugly Duckling, but she's like got... Um, oh, she was showbiz. That's why she was. Um, she didn't do. I guess she didn't do much actual film, but she did a lot of showbiz. Interesting. Okay. Uh, the writer for this movie um, has one thing that I've seen on his IMDb, which I, uh, which I, I do recommend watching. It's a rather unusual movie, but he wrote the screenplay for the original 1967 Casino Royale. Oh. Yes, with the multiple actors playing James Bond in it. Casino Royale is too much for one Bond. It's a two-hour and eleven-minute movie. It's an early spy spoof too. It's kind of a spoof as well. Peter Weller's, Ursula Andrews, David Nivian, Woody Allen, Jonah Pittet, Orson Welles. Um, yeah, big cast for this movie. Uh, if you've never seen the original 1960s, uh, 67 Casino Royale, I highly recommend watching it. Of course, this came out like around the time that the Bond films were, you know, in their their 60s heyday. But definitely, definitely look it up. He's the writer of this movie. That's cool. Yeah, so if you like the writing of this movie, definitely check out the one Bond film he did, which is an unofficial kind of Bond film. So, well, we begin the movie. The opening music for this movie seems exceptionally chipper for this type of film. It does. It so does. I was like, wow, this is like a fucking bop. I was like, cool. I don't really understand why, but that's pretty dope. (laughs) 
there's a children playing and one little bastard knocks the flower from a girl's hand like a little bitch i was I like the fuck up. kid i was like whoa what the fuck I, yeah i was like fuck them kids but then fucking jackal comes out and says dumb human animals that's yes. what he refers to the children as unbelievable um, so, by the way, so we were commenting the music being a little bit weird and chipper. One of the musicians, uh, composers for this movie, David uh, Henniker, I don't know anything that he's done. Uh, Strippers versus Werewolves uh, sounds uh, like something weird. He was the writer of that. It, it came out in 2012, but the guy died in 2001, so don't even ask me what the hell that is. Maybe they used music for his from him for this? Maybe. Weird, 11 years later. But yeah, Strippers versus Werewolves. However, his co-composer for this movie, Monty Norman, was the composer for... <gasps> IMDb credits go on and on and on and on and on. Up until 2021, he is still working today. He is, I believe, possibly music being used for, but I don't think he did the music for, a little film that has been delayed due to the pandemic called No Time to Die. Guess who is in that? Wow. Yes, 007. He was also the composer and worked in the music department for Dr. No, GoldenEye, Moonraker, The Spy Who Loved Me, and almost all of the James Bond films. That's pretty amazing. Casino Royale, Octopussy, The Man with the Golden Gun, Diamonds Over Forever, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, that, that, the guy has serious James Bond cred going all the way to today. From Dr. No to now. And he's still alive today. Born in 1928. So, God, he would be... Wow. He would be up there. He would definitely be up there. So, yeah. I don't know how much of this music is possibly he is still composing today. But, who's composing the score for the fifth Indiana Jones film coming up at the age of 91? Oh, who? John Williams. Whoa. Yeah, John Williams is coming back to do the score for uh, the fifth Indiana Jones film. Wow, I somehow I did not um, read that, so that's awesome. Yeah. So moving on, yeah, the the line about the dumb human animals. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, I was like, so this is the nice, this is the nice personality, the one that's calling children dumb human animals. Correct. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then we get another great line: "Man is beyond good and evil." Yes, he is really about having no morals. He's like, you know. Humans could be way cooler if we had no moral compass. That would really free us up. <laughs> While I understand what you're getting at, that's a horrible thing. That's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> Since we do have some dancing in this movie, I wanted to look up who the dance instructor was for this movie. Her name is Julie Mendez. Uh, lived from 1938 to 2013, but she was the uh, she was a belly dancer and dancer and a lot of things, uh, as well as being a dance uh, like instructor. She was in Theaters of Death, Make Me a Double, Duffy, and the movie She, which is a famous uh, kind of uh, female empowerment film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and and Wardian archaeologist and two companions stumble upon a lost city in East Africa, run by a beautiful queen whose love holds the promise of immortality. Stars Ursula Andrews as she. Cool. Usually on a back-to-back -back billing with uh, 1 million BC starring Raquel Welch. Hmm. The movie is best known uh, today as starring, once again, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and Bernard Cribbins, uh, who you might know as the uh, old man uh, uh, actor uh, for Donna, the companion of the Doctor, for oh, David yes. Tennant. He was Wilfred uh, Mott, her grandfather. Oh, cool. Yeah, one of my favorite characters on Doctor Who. One of the side characters, you know, very side character to Donna's story arc. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was in She with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Definitely a movie to worth checking out just because of those two act. You know, a bunch of, you know, great actors. Ursula Andrews, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee. So, uh, I don't think She is a Hammer film, unless I'm wrong. And it is. I'm not 100% certain. But it sounds like it with all those actors in it. <laughs> Yeah, Christopher Lee getting third billing in this movie is kind of unusual, but uh, totally fine. I mean, it's still early in his beginning of his Hammer career. He just did the uh, Frankenstein and Mummy and Dracula movie, so him kind of taking a backstage to the main characters in this movie might have been, uh, you know, to his, you know, wanting to. There's a ton of people 
Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I'm losing count. Uncredited in this movie on IMDb. Yeah, I saw that too. There's like and two I was dozen like, people how? uncredited. There's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people credited in this movie in the credits. One guy obviously playing getting two credits. Uh, but that's so unusual. There's this many people uncredited in the movie. Like Sphinx Girl? Which one was that? Oh, are we talking about like the girls during the club scene where they're all like whoring it up? I think so. Uh, that's all I can think. Or like the girls, who, like all the dancing people. Like that's the only thing that I can imagine that has all these uncredited. Because there is a lot of extras. But I mean, they have like, I don't know. They don't, a lot of them don't even have lines. They just exist. What do you think of uh, Lee in this film? The way he the way he is in presenting himself, he's extremely dashing. He's very like gentlemanly. I this is well <laughs> in a way. This is one of my favorite Christopher Lee roles. Um, apparently, it was also one of his favorite Christopher Lee roles. Um, although originally he wanted to play the lead, he wanted to be Jekyll, but the, apparently this. Um, this Paul was written for him, um, and I think he did a fantastic job. He is a reprehensible, gambling, womanizing, drunk douchebag, and I love every second of it. <laughs> it's a little crazy. Um, how, oh, he... This woman, uh, the wife of Dr. Jekyll, has like three relationships going on. Yes, she's also reprehensible. She she's is. also a bad person. They're, everyone is pretty much a bad person, but they're very entertaining to watch. I uh, don't. We don't have time to go through these 24 different credits of this movie. This is ridiculous, but I wanted to point out a couple. Prudence Hyman plays Tavern Woman. I can pick one, pick any of them. I, there's no photo of her, unfortunately. But she was. Uh, she, we just we just got done talking to her about her in our last episode. Oh, okay, that's why I thought she, when you said tavern woman. Yeah, Prudence was the Gorgon. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you can pick her out of the crowd without all the snake makeup on, then yeah, she was in this movie, but uh, uncredited, unfortunately. But there's a lot of women in this movie known as Sphinx Girl. Is this from the dance scene with the snake? Um. Well, they they mentioned the word Sphinx at one point. Um. The only thing I can think of is maybe... Um, the girls who are doing the can-can. Because there's like a whole row of girls doing that. Also, um, one of the rare appearances of black people in this movie. Yeah, though though it's questionable. Not played by white people in blackface. Yes. Not played by um, Christopher Lee in blackface or brownface. Yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> so that whole scene, actually, I took a screenshot of it because I was confused you should post that up on twitter with like questions of your confusion about it as well i should because i was just like what the fuck i'll save it for we when don't we... post a lot of like pictures from the episodes that were what where movies were reviewing you usually just kind of post up the you know the the uh the poster that's it and 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 all but uh we should post up like more pictures of, from some of these movies that we're yeah. doing with some questionable comments on them being just being yes. like ah uh, like yes. christopher lee and brownface and being like christopher lee in brownface <laughs> this particular scene okay so um this movie takes place they explicitly say in the very beginning that this movie takes place in 1874 okay so victorian era we're in london victorian era london you know, those people get hot over an ankle. Okay. Yep. Um, like, this is when women were covered and men covered from head to toe. Right. The club that they go to on several points this movie. Uh, oh, the club is called the Sphinx Club. That's what it is. That's why. Right. But, the, but who are that. the Sphinx girls? Yeah, because they're just girls who work at the club. Okay, all right, gotcha. I'm expecting them to wear, like, Sphinx-looking headdresses, like the Sphinx, like the Egyptian Sphinx. So we have this one scene that... I thought uh, we were done with the Mummy film series for a while. (laughs) Yeah, when you first um, meet Maria, who is the snake charmer woman, belly dancer. Mm, Very sexy, very sexy scene. Especially when it's (laughs) considering, what does she do with that snake, bro? Yeah. (laughs) 
oh yeah she like deep throats it for no reason fucking, i really didn't understand that she, either but yeah, yeah so puts that this... snake in her fucking mouth and deep throats yeah. it like a cock i mean that is some <laughs> sexy sexy freudian like you know like this is a penis and this is what i can do with it man yeah i see i was just confused but that makes sense you know it's like okay interesting interesting choice no she is uh, definitely showing off her oral skills yeah uh so we get to this club full of people who are absolutely not in victorian garb first of all there's a woman who is literally in a uh, belly showing shirt again i want to emphasize that these people get turned on by an ankle if you have your ankles you are a whore okay clear we're clear so <laughs> back this, then you're considered that <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of whores in uh, obviously in uh <laughs> in 1874 but whores did not dress in bikinis and uh, uh, they dressed with basically the undergarments which would still be floor length or ankle length dresses and there maybe would have um, off the shoulder collars oh, and you mean like less the two, layers the two women of the night who accompanied mr hyde with their pimp and then he they mug them yes yes those were well those were appropriately dressed in this goddamn weird club this woman is in a snake is in a like a belly dancer outfit like her entire everything is exposed she is like a bikini with like little fringe on it she has her belly button pierced um she is brought to the stage by two absolute units of black men they are large um they i think are supposed to be eunuchs um they are dressed in a random cultural outfit i don't really know what it's supposed to be then there's a band in the background who are just a bunch of dudes in fezes playing random instruments. Um, she also, oh, and then in the background, there's a dude in 1700s British clothes with a white wig. They, they stopped wearing those. That was done. We're done with that. We've moved past that. And then some of the patrons are just in like normal suits and also pretty scandalous dresses. The whole scene was unfucking believable. Like I was beside myself. Not even by the fact that the, there's a hot lady snake charming and dancing with a snake. Uh, it was just so fucking like, what the hell is happening with everything? It was amazing. I mean, I know there was burlesque, so there is burlesque in the 1870s. That absolutely was happening, but not to this extent. This is fucking crazy. I don't know why these scenes existed but i mean they were fun One <laughs> this of... is beyond scandalous like this is unbelievably beyond scandalous for 1874 the nightclub bouncer for uh this scene he again he's kind of quick in this he's not he doesn't have like a huge role um, is another one of those character actors that has been in some serious stuff. He passed away in 1999 at the age of 61, but he was Proximo in Gladiator, if you remember Gladiator. And he was in another oh, okay. version of this uh, of uh, the Henry Jekyll story called Dr. Henry Heckle and Mr. Hyde. Um, he was okay. He was Dolly Hopkins in uh, Funny Bones. Do you remember that movie? With the goofy, cartoony uh, monkey, Brendan Fraser? Oh, yes. But in 1988, he was in one of my considered to be now favorite fantasy films of all time. Uh, played Vulcan and the Adventures of Baron Mooshine. Oh, okay. I vaguely it's a familiar with that, but it's a Terry it's been Gillian. A long it's a Terry time. Gillian movie. It's a fantastic movie, by the way. If you have never seen it, I saw it one night. Uh, a date was showing it to me, and she she fell asleep, and uh, she had seen it before. But I, I watched it from beginning to end. And when she woke up, she's like, oh, is it over? I'm like, yeah, you passed out. And she's like, did you like it? I was like, that was really freaking awesome. It also stars Sarah Poli, best known for American Horror Story and, and Eric Idle. And oh, okay. uh, yep. the young Venus is played by a very young, this is not her debut film, but young Uma Thurman. Uh, Robin Williams plays the King in the Moon in it. Sting is in it. Jonathan Pierce is, uh, Price is in it. Uh, Bill Patterson is in it. And uh, one of the uh, stooges in the round table aboard the Death Star, uh, Don Henderson, in it is in it. 
Wow, that sounds wonderful. Uh, yeah, he's the guy who uh, starts the conversation that leads into mouthing off to Vader. He's not the one who gets choked, but he's the one who's just like, he goes, the full force of this uh, fully armed and operational battle station uh, will quell and destroy the Alliance, you know, and, and, and we'll... We'll 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 show that rebellion no matter what, and that's when Vader is like, "Don't put so much faith into this technological marvel that you've constructed. Power of the power of the of the the power of this uh, station is no match for the power of the Force." And then that's when the chubby guy chimes in and is just like, "Your sorcerer ways don't threaten us, Lord Vader. Nor have they found the conjure. they conjured up the uh, stolen Death Star plans that." Yes, disturbing. Um, yeah, so Adventures of Baron Moonshine. If you've never seen it, totally watch it. It's one of Terry Gilliam's best films. Hmm. Yeah, Oliver Reed's in that. That was just a long tangent for uh, this one little character actor. Uh, Mackenzie Ward plays a businessman. He's in like just a businessman scene. He has a photo on IMDb, but he's in nothing I have ever seen before other than uh, The New Adventures of Charlie Chan. I only wa- ever watched that show because my grandfather would watch it. Oh, interesting. Charlie yeah, Chan was like a, Charlie Chan was like a Chinese uh, inspector. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, went on like adventure detective stories, that sort of thing. Uh, probably a lot of the stuff on in Asian stereotypes that wouldn't fly today, but you know, very heavy Asian cast. So, the serum that Doctor Jekyll creates uh, is like equivalent to that of like almost like heroin. Yeah, it's constantly talked about throughout the film that it's like a drug, um, but it's killing him slow or. It's accelerating his metabolism, is what Ernst tells him. It's also funny that for the first time ever, Christopher Lee plays a Paul. Yes. Which is the most unusual thing, because he has not played a Paul, as far as I'm aware, up to this point. Pauls have always been characters that have actually fought Christopher Lee before. Yes. But he's so great in this. He's like, just, he's such a dick, and it's awesome. I'm trying to find a uh, article I saw once about how many Pauls there are in in uh, in the Hammer movies to see if maybe there's like a video montage or something of them. Um, right. But on uh, T- Turner Classic Movies message board, someone points out dated October 31st, appropriate, 2011. Has anyone noticed how popular the name Paul is in the films? The answer says the hero, Frankenstein's tutor and represent mentor, is the curse of Frankenstein's Paul. One of the leads in the Gorgon is Paul. The Mummy Shroud is a character named Paul. Dracula, Prince of Darkness, uh, uh, Dracula has risen from the grave. Scars of Dracula all have heroes named Paul. And Taste of Blood of Dracula has an important character named Paul. Seems like half the Hammer catalog is scenes of hot women walking down the corridors saying, Paul, Paul, where are you, Paul? Is there something inherently terrifying about a name or am I needlessly obsessing? Uh, response is, you've just cast a Paul over my enjoyment of Hammer films. Ha ha ha. They're all they're also fond of the name Hans, as Hans has appeared in Revenge of Frankenstein, Evil Frankenstein, Frankenstein Creative Woman, and other films. Yeah, it's a little excessive, actually. <laughs> right, but nobody's like pointing out why it is that Paul is constantly used in all of these films. Like, was it an inside joke with the Hammer people? Because it's really weird. It's extremely weird. It's a constant thorn in the, like, you know, just like, why are we always just reusing this name? There has to have been some type of joke, and I'm not finding it quite the information yet. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's so silly. It, it's unbelievable. Yes. Also, apparently there's a Paul in The Woman in Black, the remake, which is a oh. modern-day Hammer film for those modern Hammer films that have kind of been very lackluster- I mean, the, you know, the American remake of Let the Right One In, Let Me In, is one of those modern Hammer films. Okay. Is that is the woman in black, is that the one with Radcliffe? Yes. Daniel Radcliffe's yeah. in the first one. I saw that in theaters, and I was underwhelmed. Yeah. I like the sequel a little bit more, but not by very much at all. Mm. Um, I also thought that was a new Hammer film coming out in 2019 uh, starring Will Patton, but no, that's just a movie called Hammer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Will Patton, who was in uh, recently uh, The Purge, uh, The Forever Purge, and he was also in uh, the first of the new Halloween films, among uh, many of other films that Will Patton's been in. But I, was, I thought he was going to be in a Hammer, American Hammer, Hammer, re, you know, one of those new Hammer films. So they're not really doing anything with those anymore. Um, they, they kind of like just kind of dried out until the year of the pandemic uh, just prior to it, a movie we haven't covered yet, which we keep saying we're going to, The Cottage or something? What was it called? 
Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, God, I don't remember now. Yeah, we've said this for so long, and I can't remember what it's called. Right, it, but it, it, it was considered to be a Hammer movie that came out in 2020. Yes, yes, it was. It's about some uh, kids trapped in a uh, in a trapped in a uh, uh, cottage in uh, the middle of a, a like a winter storm, and you can't tell if they're sl- causing the girl to go crazy, their 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 surrogate mom, nanny, or whoever she is, or is she doing it to herself? Yes, oh, Christ, I do not remember. I'm looking it up right now. Sputnik, Deep Blue Sea 3. It was not exactly a lot of movies of 2020. Right, exactly. Why don't you go on with your next note while I'm looking it up? All right. Uh, let's see. So, where are we? So, yes. Um, <laughs> we are finally at the point where Dr. Jekyll has decided he's just going to use the serum on himself after but- he used it on his little monkey. Um, though that never comes back. Like, I I would have thought that the monkey would have been more important to the story, like a smoking gun type situation. But nope, uh, that never happens. So he... By the way, the movie was called The Lodge. The Lodge, that's what it is. Yeah, okay. that was actually very good too. Okay, yeah. I did so, enjoy yeah, that. He... I did enjoy that a lot. Uh, if you have not seen The Lodge, uh, rent it, buy it, however you can find it. I don't know what streaming service is on, but I did enjoy that a lot. Yeah. Uh, he transforms into Hyde, who is now a very clean-cut, suave, socialite-type man who wants to um, see what kind of shit he can get into. Then he goes uh, to the club where um, Paul and his wife are um, are at. There's a great question asked: Why does love make us act so hatefully to one another? Yes, I yeah, I had that note too. That um, Kitty asks Paul that after they decide fuck Jekyll slash Hyde, they don't want anything to do with him. And I believe Paul says because. We want everything. I think that's what he says. Vile, disgusting, degenerate, you go back to hell is also a great line in the movie. Oh, I love it. Yeah. um, So the interesting thing about their characters is that they're not quite foils. I don't know how to put it. But, like, um, Paul is basically everything that Hyde is, but without, you know, having to take a drug to be that man paul is just unabashedly a man without morals um which then when hyde decides to turn the tables on him and kind of play the game same game hyde is like or paul is like yo what the fuck dude you can't you can't just do that to me and then calls him uh says that to him and hyde's like how interesting you um have morals on everything but you know love <laughs> and I'm like, well, there's no, there's no honor among thieves, dude. This is how it is. You know how, you know, this just, this just happens. You've made a monster, Paul. You made this man a fucking monster. Who is it that Hyde molests and rapes? His own wife. Oh, okay. Kitty. All right, so yeah. The, so it is Kitty, but it doesn't look. I mean, it looks like they got rough, but I mean, she's still pretty composed, except for the scratches all over. Do you think he raped her? Yes. Okay. Because she immediately, I mean, she at least four or five times tells him no throughout the entire film. And then he rips her shirt off. And sc- I think the scratching is on her chest, symbolic of uh, her, him forcing himself on her. And uh, Kitty uh, finds someone dead and then kills herself, throwing herself through the window uh, during the party. Yeah, that was pretty awesome, actually. The python apparently kills Paul, Christopher Lee, um, after Hyde tricks him into going into a back room. Because at this point, Hyde has just finally become truly evil, I suppose. And uh, (laughs) then, uh, yeah, uh, Kitty wakes up after being raped, and Hyde is gone, finds Paul's body... And the snake. Yeah, so Kitty finds Paul's body after, who's Christopher Lee, after he gets killed by a python. 
and the snake's there after Hyde has tricked him into going to a back room. Kitty wakes up after Hyde has, like, raped her, and he's gone back to his lab because uh, he's all evil now, for real. And uh, then being so distressed by the fact that her lover is dead, she just jumps out a goddamn window and crashes through the roof of the club that they've all been going to. And it was pretty awesome, actually. Like, I know it was a dummy that they used, but it looked pretty good. Uh, it was awesome. Her her body just slams onto the dance floor in the middle of everything. I didn't think the uh, slamming her body was that great. It just, it, it just, it did not look that convincing <laughs> to me. I was just amazed that they showed it. I expected it to be like she jumps out the window and then the next scene they just like show her body laying down. But I was just impressed that they showed her jumping from start to finish. That, that's what really got me. The scene of Jekyll and Hyde talking to each other in the mirror has been played out in so many different medias, you know, of like <laughs> the split personality talking to itself. But I thought it was extremely well done. Again, it points to showing us that like Hyde is being, you know, beautiful and Jekyll is the more unattractive one. Um, mm-hmm. Just because of just his uncut facial hair just makes it look really ugly. <laughs> <laughs> but Rose Hyde is so well groomed together, which is, again is very funny because when other media... Jekyll turns into Hyde. Hyde's the one who usually has the shitty looking facial hair. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think both both versions work, to be honest, because you can see the unsuspecting nature of a... It's more like a serial killer, in like they can be very charming, mm-hmm. and it's disarming, mm-hmm. and uh, then they turn out to be like a very bad person so i think it does work in that respect but it is interesting in that it's very different from the source material do you think the name jekyll's inferno comes to the fact that uh jekyll burns the place down <laughs> yeah i guess so because i was trying to figure that out too i didn't understand that at all uh like nothing you have ever seen a completely different version of the classic story new dr jekyll a handsome evil mr hyde a shock getting that you dare not reveal not really much of a shock ending. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's study in terrifying evil, Jekyll's Inferno. Interesting title. I mean, this looks like the theatrical poster in 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 England, and we call it the other thing. So who's calling it Jekyll Inferno? Yeah, and I haven't seen it actually referred to as Jekyll's Inferno really anywhere else. Uh, like a lot of times, if it's if it, it has a second title, a lot of things will say where the second title comes from, but I did not see that at all anywhere. Yeah, I couldn't find it either. So uh, if you do happen to know, drop it in the comment section below because we're not exactly finding it online very easily. Yeah, in North America, oh, okay, in North America under the title House of Fright, and then on American TV, Jekyll's Inferno. Oh, okay. Did you know that also Robert Louis Stevenson has no credit in this because the book's in public domain? Oh, that's weird. So Hammer felt as though they they don't need to give him any credit. That's rude. Extremely (laughs) rude. Uh, If you will notice in my Vlada a Dracula tale, right in the credits section, who do I list? Uh, Bram Stoker. Right below my name. Yep. I think I uh, did him justice. Also, you have the Kickstarter version. On the back of the retail copy is a quote by his uh, great-grandnephew, Dekar Stoker. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that I was allowed to use for marketing, and then I asked him uh, years later if I could reuse it. Um, He's like, I can't read your novel because of something legally. Something happened, I guess, maybe, that uh, nothing involving me, but probably uh, some lawyer told him to stop reading other people's versions of Dracula in any way while you're kind of pursuing your own. So he had to turn down reading my novel, but did say I could reuse his PR quote from six years ago for my book. And I told him I was putting it on the back of the book. Wow. That's so. pretty interesting, actually. Yeah. So, but he gave his blessing for that um, to do. I don't have many much notes after the Inferno and they catch him and all's well that ends well for this movie. Uh, I, I think it was pretty good. I was, again, I was, I was paying attention to it while I was doing many other things. But overall, I definitely see why people herald this as being one of the better Hammer movies and one of the most unique takes on the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And they don't call it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They call it the two faces of Dr. Jekyll. Yeah, I also really quite enjoyed this one. 
Um, I thought it was pretty interesting. And I mean, again, I get in, I went in pretty blind because I'm not super familiar with the source material. But as a Hammer film, I thought it was pretty fun. Um, despite my questionable uh, or the questionable decisions about the um, Victorian era outfits and practices, um, I did find it overall pretty pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, this one's pretty enjoyable. I liked it. Cool. That's all the time we have here tonight on Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, the Hammer Horror Podcast. Who would the boobs go to in this movie, Ro? I'm going to say Maria, the snake charmer lady. And the um, the uh, the the blood in this movie uh, is kind of like here, there, um, a little bit. Not overly bloody film. No, this is another one where there really wasn't that much blood. No. Um, and then the badass would go to the excellent performance of our lead actor who could pull off both roles at the same time, Paul Macy. Yes, definitely. He did a great job. He did an exceptional uh, job. That reminded me, too. He kind of reminds me of a young William Shatner when he is Hyde. I don't know why something about his face just kind of reminded me of William Shatner. Because Shatner was like, was, uh, like a ladies' man back then. He was a tomcat. <laughs> yeah yeah it's just like the way his face looks and his hair and kind of like maybe his mannerisms it just sort of reminded me of like uh tos era shatner very for like very vaguely i don't know i enjoyed it even more for that reason <laughs> one of the other movie or dvd release posters or, or images uh has uh jekyll and hyde like switching back and forth and there's like one face in between them and uh it, i thought it was kind of unique uh Sometimes terror has a handsome face, which again was the whole point of trying to do a film like this. And of course, I think the next time they would do this, and I think it was Hammer, was Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Yes, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, which is a kind of a controversial film, but uh, we will, I guess, get to it eventually. I don't think there's like more than just that. I think there's just those two. So you can find us over on Twitter at ChrisDSAB. And you can find me at Rolorn, R-O-L-0-R-E-N. And you can send us, or you can send us an email, thatradioofhorror at gmail.com. And check out the rest of the episodes we've done here on the Dorkening Network on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And we'll be back in a few weeks with the first part of the Cardella Trilogy, uh, the, uh, the Vampire Lovers or the Lesbian Vampires. Uh, which will be followed up by Twins of Evil and Countess Dracula. So stay tuned as we return to the vampire films of the Hammer Horror Library, here on Boobs, Blood, and Badasses. <laughs> Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. And we all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. <laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. <laughs>